Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Father, we thank you that even though we are removed from one another physically, we are joined spiritually in you Jesus and so we pray that even this morning Holy Spirit that as you are the one joining all of us together that you would also work in our hearts and do this even as we're reflecting on the birth of Christ in a time and in a season which is absolutely crazy and turned on its head now more than ever Lord we need you we need hope we need the gospel reveal yourself to us this morning we pray for your name, for your glory, and our benefit. Amen. I love this time of year, uh, not just because of the awesome weather, uh, not just because of the holiday that most of you are on, but because of the general positivity that's in the air. People are more relaxed. I like the food that we're enjoying this time of year. I like the movies, those corny movies that play every year the same movie over and over again, and yet we still enjoy watching them. That's why they get played. Hollywood keeps on bringing out Christmas movies and it's the same plot because you can't really change the plot and we know what's going to happen but we still keep watching them. No matter what the family crisis or the feud or whatever happens in the movie it all works out and everyone has a Merry Christmas. That's exactly why I think we and the rest of the world enjoys watching it. Why Hollywood will always make money producing the same movies with different names because deep down at the end of the year we all want and long for something we all want things to work out we all crave at the end of a difficult year to have hope no wonder people use the season to conjure up a fictional character with a huge belly that breaks into people's homes to leave presents the idea of christmas cheer and to be merry Why people have an excuse to give in to retail therapy, spend way more than they should, eat way more than they should, indulge way more than they should. We just want to do something to help us feel a little bit better. We crave hopefulness in this season. And ironically, in spite of the obvious differences between pop culture and Christianity, the overriding theme when celebrating Christmas is the same. It's that of hope. Everyone is crying out for the same thing. Give me something to hold on to. Give me something to feel a little bit better. And family, that is what the birth and celebrating the birth of Christ is all about. It is discovering once again and remembering that Jesus is the hope of the world. The problem that we often face, even as Christians, is that we miss this. That's why we've titled this series The Unexpected Savior. Because even though humanity itself cries out for a savior, so much so that they make up a weird North Pole dwelling creature, we need to expect the unexpected. Jesus came to save, but in a way that the world probably wasn't expecting. And so my hope this morning is that we wouldn't miss Jesus, that we wouldn't misalign our expectations, somehow hoping for a Father Christmas and missing Jesus, the hope of the world. Which brings us to the Gospel according to Matthew. 
So Matthew is currently showing his Jewish audience that Jesus wasn't just some cool new teacher. He was or is in fact the long-awaited Savior King. And so last week we saw how King Herod, when learning of Jesus' birth, was troubled by the news. And he was trying to find Jesus, ascertain when and where he was going to be birthed. And back then, and even now, we weren't sure what his intentions were, but it can't be good. And so the wise men, after visiting Mary and Joseph to pay homage to Jesus, was warned in a dream not to return to their homeland the same way, but go back a different route. And this brings us to today's passage. And so let me read for us from verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is a crazy, intense reaction from King Herod. Remember, he he is a Jew himself, meaning that he should have welcomed the idea of the birth of Christ. This is what the nation of Israel has been waiting for. And yet he does everything in his power to kill, to murder Jesus. He wasn't even a fully fledged king. He's just a puppet put in charge by the Romans to whom he still had to answer to. He had very little power and yet he wasn't willing to give it up. It's clear from the passage that Herod took the promise of Jesus very seriously. He was clearly threatened by Jesus, thinking that it would be the end of his rule. And so he did the unthinkable. He gave the command to kill every child, every male child, two years and under. We shouldn't miss the emotion in the passage. Matthew quotes Jeremiah as all the women are personified as Rama and Rachel. A voice is heard in Rama, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Family, what happened here is more than just Herod trying to quell a possible rebellion and a new king. It's more than just another story. What happened here is evil. It is a hopeless overreaction from a bloodthirsty, power-drunk man. Israelites killing their own kinsmen, weeping and crying, loud wailing without any comfort. There has to be more behind this story. If Herod is not a God-fearing Jew, which I think safely can assume that he wasn't, why did he take this prophecy seriously? Why did he consider Jesus to be such a threat that he was willing to kill not only a city, but the entire region's male children two years and under, just to be sure that he stayed in power? What little power he had. It's unthinkable. It's, It's irrational. So much so that it actually reminds us of another story in Israel's dark history. 
back in the day when Israelites were sojourners in another land, the land of Egypt, Exodus tells us that they, the young nation of Israel, which started as 12 brothers that migrated to Egypt, started to multiply and grow so much so that they became a threat to the king of Egypt. And so Exodus 1 verses 8 tells us the following. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. And then Pharaoh did the unthinkable. He commanded all his people that every son that is born to a Hebrew shall be cast into the Nile. Everyone is to be killed. Once again, horrific. And yet, in the midst of the strategy or the tragedy, Moses was spared by a miraculous event. And the parallels between the two stories are unmistakable. Two kings threatened, both responding with murderous intent. And we read that Joseph took Mary and Jesus and fled to Egypt and later returned to Israel to further show the parallels of Israel's exodus and that of Jesus. This is essentially the same story, told in this specific way to reveal something crucial to us, the readers. Two very important parallels about the story that I need us to see today and that we need to reflect upon as we think about the incarnation and birth of Jesus Christ. The first is, and very important, there is a greater evil at work here than mere kings and kingdoms being threatened. There is an active force using the sinfulness and selfishness of mankind to oppose the good rule of God the Father. There is more than meets the eye. The sinfulness of men causes us to live broken lives. And yes, that not only affect ourselves, but it definitely affects the people around us. Sin is interesting. It's like throwing a pedal in the middle of a pond and you see the ripple effect going outward. The effects of sin affects the people around us. And it has devastating effects. Think about something like an affair. You would think that this is a private sin hidden from sight, but ultimately that sin will lead to a broken marriage relationship. And when divorce happens, we see that it affects two families in a devastating way. A lot of hurt, a lot of brokenness. So much so that that brokenness leads to further hurt for children growing up in a home that is now split and we know undoubtedly that this has an effect on the next generation. Sin constantly affecting the people around it. Sin is devastating. However, what we see in this story and in the world around us is that sin orchestrated to inflict maximum damage. Family, this is the work of Satan using the selfish ambition of men to poison their hearts so that they will rebel against the good king. No doubt that both Pharaoh and Herod are poisoned by their desires to reign unopposed, but certainly we see Satan using this to try and destroy God's elect. He did it before and he was trying it again. He was trying to destroy God's people and now he is trying to destroy God's son. This is evil at work. The enemy we are facing 
isn't just trying to win some game, family. The enemy we're facing isn't just trying to win more people to its side. No. With everything in him, he wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy this world. He wants to kill and murder everything God has created. He hates God and he hates God's people. The senseless evil that we see around us is much more than coincidence. It is orchestrated. That's why people long for hope. That's why at this time of year we see a deep yearning for the thought that everything will be okay because people notice this. People are deeply aware of the brokenness around us. The mistake that we make is thinking that the answer is either in one another or in the things of this earth. And ironically, if we try to find it in Christmas, in relationships, in your job, your successes, your self-actualization, our sin twists it and Satan uses it to further poison our lives. The very thing that we try to use to cure our hearts is further feeding the beast. The mistake that we make is to think that our problem isn't that serious. This is life or death. The problems that we are facing are actually much worse than we think. And this is a crucial part. If we don't rightly identify the problem, we might miss the Savior. People have the fallacy of thinking in this way or wrongly thinking that because there is great evil in the world, it is a sign that a good God doesn't exist, when in fact it's quite the contrary. Great evil is the result of great opposition to a great good God. The brokenness around us reminds us that something greater is happening than meets the eye. Which brings us to the counterpart in the story. We see great evil and we see great opposition in both stories and in both stories we have a main character that does the work of God the Father. To help us see clearly what Jesus came to do we need to see what Moses did for the nation of Israel. And so Moses, similar to Jesus, was spared from the great evil for a great task. And this is what the Lord tasked Moses with in Exodus 3 verses 7 to 10. The Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses was chosen by the Lord to lead God's people from captivity to freedom, from oppression to prosperity. And Jesus came to do the same work. Jesus like God, also reached down, entered into our situation to come and save us, but on a much, much grander scale. Moses was but a foreshadowing of what Jesus came to do. As Jesus, as Jesus started his ministry, he went to the temple and took the stroll and read the following from the prophet Isaiah in Luke 4 verse 18. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
He has anointed me to tell the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to announce the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down while all the eyes of people in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled as you've read it, heard it read out loud. Family, we do have a great enemy in sin and brokenness and in Satan, the accuser, the murderer, the liar, but we have an even greater savior in Jesus Christ. Whilst captive, we are enslaved by our own sinful desires and will endure the calamity of the madman Satan. But Jesus came to set us free from both. Sin and brokenness and the evil one. That is why Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation of a God and that's why it is such a message of hope. When all seemed lost... When all failed, God stepped in. And families see this, that Jesus was born in spite of the enemy's best efforts to destroy him. Jesus prevailed. Jesus lived. Even more than that, Jesus died on the cross. His death, which seemed like a defeat, was actually a victory. He paid for our sins and he defeated the power of death by rising again. What this means for us today, that is, when you become a Christian, you are immediately set free from the power of sin. Yes, we still have the lingering effects of sin in our lives. We are like old addicts, maybe sometimes relapsing. However, sin is our taskmaster no more. We are no longer controlled by it. Also, it means that we no longer have to fear death nor Satan because even though Satan is a strong man, Jesus is stronger. He has overcome the world. In a world that seems like it is out of control, the Christians are at peace. Like a boat experiencing a storm, we see Jesus sound asleep. Lastly, family, it means... That our hope for everlasting life is secured and nothing will remove us from Christ. In this season where we want to talk about hope, we need to remind one another where true hope lies. That is not in taking a break. It is not just in resting from our jobs. It's not just R&R, rest and recovery and being ready for next year. It's not experiencing family and good fun and good food. And these are all good times. The Christian's hope is securely in the fact that God stepped in and became a man. Jesus was born, the hope of glory. In this life, we will still suffer adversity. And we're experiencing right now. We're in this pandemic. People are experiencing loss right now. We will still experience emotional and physical pain and trauma. And like the woman of Bethlehem who had real trauma, who were really crying and wailing, the difference now for us is that we know that we have a great Savior. In amongst our pain, we can be comforted knowing that God didn't leave us our own devices. Jesus actually steps into our pain. He experienced this. He lived through this. Now knowing the best of all how to comfort us. 
Man, in this season, we have such a great opportunity not just to taste the hope ourselves and not just to share it with one another, but also with the world and the people around us. Many of us will be spending Christmas with family and friends who don't know who Jesus really is and what he really came to do. Rather than just calling out the world, what it's doing wrong, what, what Christmas shouldn't be about, how materialistic people are, we should see this as a cry for help. Help, I need comfort. Help, I need real hope. Family, we have this message of hope. We have a God who stepped into this mess to become flesh, to save us and to lead us to real life in amongst a real oppressor. Instead of telling people what they should do, maybe let's allow this message of hope to soften our hearts, to stand closer to people so that we can hear their cries for hope, for help, and then gently show them the beauty of the gospel. Jesus, the hope of the world. Amen. Father, I do pray that for us this morning, that we would be honest with ourselves, recognizing and knowing that the things that we face are serious. The sin goes deep and the accuser, the oppressor, is real and dangerous and strong. And yet, we can be honest with ourselves because we know that's not the end of the story. We know that the counterpart, the hero to the story, is Jesus who already has overcome the world. And Father, we want to be reminded about this so that we have hope, not just for one day, but that we would be people comforted even for today. That we would recognize that you are a sympathetic God. A God who stepped into the mess to come and carry his children out of slavery, out of oppression, oppression into freedom. We pray that this message of hope, rather than making us legalistic, better knowing Christians, that it would make us people of love, people with grace, people eager to share this message. Help us to see that people aren't just running to false idols, that people aren't desecrating Christmas. No, all of this is just a cry for help. Help us to be those who can safely say, we have cried for help as well, and you have answered. You are the only answer to that cry. Amen.